You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Changing Reality. Welcome one, welcome all to our show. If this is your second, third time, or if you're a returning viewer, thank you for your constant support. And if this is your first time tuning in, where have you been? We've been excited to meet you. But anyway, thank you for joining us on our show. For all of you who don't know, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are, in essence, changing their own reality. So through the show, we'll be meeting absolutely brilliant people and interviewing people from social change makers, entrepreneurs, uh, business leaders, uh, executives uh, at the forefront of their uh, industries, in a sense, thought leaders, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world who are, in essence, one way or another, uh, creating amazing changes, not just in their lives, but reflecting that around them as well. And it's really important that we have an avenue like this, to me at the very least, simply because through listening to these stories, we can hopefully pick out the nuggets of wisdom that we can use in our own lives as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I believe that there are a lot of people out there who do these phenomenal things and make waves in not only their own lives, but those around them. And I'm passionate about learning how they're doing so, so that all of us can learn to replicate it in small ways in our own lives. So stories have meant the world in my journey. It's helped, uh, done so much for me. And I wanted to share that gift of conversation and learning with all of you today. And to show you how much I actually believe in the power of stories and how much it's actually changed my life. I actually founded and run a youth movement back at home in Malaysia called Ascendance, which is where I'm from. Um, and it basically works with not just today our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but over 28 different countries to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, activities, experiential learning programs that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and actually start their own careers while they're still in school. And we've been fortunate to work with over 35,000 students, 970 communities, and have helped countless number of students between the ages of eight to, uh, to 20 years old actually start their own social enterprises, their own social impact. And the reason we've been able to do all of that has been stories, has been kind individuals who've been willing to take their time to join us, share their experiences, their expertise, the things that they've gone through so that others may learn from it. And similarly like that, I hope that this show serves as that same platform for all of you watching today, that from this, you can start charting your own course in life. You can start figuring out what you love doing and use it as a stepping stone of where you want to be. So if there's anything that you want to talk about specifically, any topics, any suggestions, do let us know in the comments below. And we will try to take as many of them as we can uh, to make this show all about you. So today's speaker is someone who truly inspires. Uh, I have been extremely inspired seeing the work that she's done, listening to some of her experiences. So I'm very excited for this interview. And she has the, the most phenomenal experiences with career that has spanned all across the world. She has been a leader in everything fascinating and engaging from leading, um, uh, from launching satellites to space, from the world of investment banking to big tech. So today we actually have with us the phenomenal, one of the directors of business finance, specifically here in the Asia Pacific at Google. Let's welcome Lanya to our virtual stage. Thank you, Harsha. Thrilled to be here. 
well, we really appreciate you joining us. We were just talking before this call that you have a very hectic schedule over the next couple of weeks, right? Yes, I have, uh, you know, pan the pandemic is not ended yet, but uh, but yes, teams are planning to get together. Um, so I am actually headed to US for six weeks, um, a bunch of offsites and team gatherings and a lot of collaboration in person. So it's going to be a super busy, packed calendar. I can also already see going ahead for the rest of the year, a lot of travel picking up. I'm very glad to hear that in a sense for me after being stuck in the same room for two years. I think everyone deserves to, to, to have a little bit of their offsides, meet up with their team. And honestly, I'm just grateful that you found the time for this. So thank you so much for joining us. And I alluded to, to this earlier, but you have done so many phenomenal things. You've worked with people, not just in your current role, but throughout your journey across the world, really. In, in, in the most fascinating of industries. Satellites was your first stop and, and, and you only got better from there in a sense. So I guess that's spoiler enough to how amazing it is. But I'm very curious, where did your journey start in a sense? Did you think you'd be doing all of this back when you were a lost, confused college student like us, if you ever were in a way? Well, uh, not, not quite. So um, I didn't know where I was gonna be um, and I wouldn't have predicted that I'll be in Google uh, today, right, and talking to you today, um, but back where I grew up, so I grew up in India, um, and um, and and for a lot of uh, women there growing up, uh, your choices was pretty clear if you wanted to have a career um, and an education for that matter. So it was either you do engineering or you do medicine, right? Um, and I, after my after my high school, took exams for both, and it's very very competitive. So you have to you have to get really good grades, and you have to pass the tests and um, as is true of many Asian countries, right? Korea, Japan, all very similar uh, in how competitive the the high level and the college entrance tests are. So, um, so I did that, um, and then ultimately ended up doing engineering because, again, you know, my father was an engineer and sold me on how great it was. Um, and I was equally split between medicine and engineering. I could have gone either way, but for me, the passion was just learning. I love learning right um and and since i i really loved learning about different things um, I, I was good at it so thankfully i, I got got admission um, into a college in delhi um the delhi college of engineering um and i when i finished that um i had um, i had a couple of scholarships to go to us to pursue higher studies um and it so happened that i ended up choosing university of maryland which is where goddard space flight center is situated um and hence i got into this realm marrying my um, theoretical interest, which was around, you know, space systems engineering um, and distributed computing, which back in, you know, early, early 2000s was still very nascent. Um, and, uh, you know, NASA being right there, it was, uh, it was a very good, <laughs> it was a, it, it was a fantastic yeah, to bring theory into practice, um, and hence I got into space systems. So oftentimes when people say, oh, this is not rocket science, um, uh, I, it, it, it's kind of funny because I'm one of those who did hold a business card that said, you know, rocket scientist, um, and seems really long ago now, but um, but yes. So that was my okay. start. I'll make sure to never bring up that idiom with you then, <laughs> the actual rocket science uh, scientist. <laughs> no, but that's crazy. Okay, next time someone tells me that, I'll be like, I actually know a rocket scientist. Okay, thanks for the thanks for the bragging rights from this episode. Um, but but it's very fascinating. And first of all, you pick between engineering and medicine. You you were just like, what are the two hardest things? Let me pick from that. <laughs> that's how brilliant you are. Oh my gosh, it's so scary to think about. 
Tell us about <laughs> kind of like your your experience in in in, in your masters. I think in, in in engineering when you at the University of Maryland. Many students nowadays, we uh, at least I think uh, students from where I'm from, we have a tendency to just focus on on what we're studying, focus on really absorbing that, and then we think that later we can engage with everything else. But we often miss out maybe some of the opportunities that are right in front of us, or for you right beside you with NASA and all of that. How did you actually, as a student, start engaging with all of these things? Well, it was uh, it was a combination of again multiple things. Um, um, I was both a research assistant and a teaching assistant, um, and I loved research was fine, but it was more of you know being in the lab, working with your professors, growing your network there and knowledge there. But I actually loved being a teaching assistant more because then I would have all these students come in and ask me questions, and I would engage and I would see. You know, learning as it was happening, you know, what people were finding difficult, what people were finding easy, how do I improve it, how do I help the professors I was working with. Um, and slowly I started, I, I, I started engaging myself in realms outside my immediate world too. So I started off um, actually being a teaching assistant for, for a professor in the math department and then in the engineering department. And then I went as far as journalism. So I actually worked, worked in the journalism department because I realized that, uh, Things were going to change, right? And I can't, I can't say that I knew the disruption that was going to happen in journalism, right? Journalism as we know it today isn't what it was, but back then, print media was still the front and center. And um, and the reason I plugged into it was because I realized that the technology journalism used was very, very archaic. You know, we were still still doing a lot of you know paper pencil journalism, um, talking about things, gathering sources, our information gathering process. Everything was again. This is before the era of you know twitter or snapchat or instas and before any of that but back then you could see something was going to change again google wasn't there yet on the horizon we didn't know how online news is going to be but just engaging in these different aspects and meeting people from all walks of life um, made me think about the dots ultimately the technology can can drive right and the plan the strong platform it can be and the importance of people really learning how to use it effectively right um, and from that from that point on i did go on um, and spend the first uh, first first 6 7 years uh, in in the defense industry so i was in defense uh, doing microelectronics doing things i really really loved um, and then post 911 um, since i wasn't uh, um, a, a U.S. born citizen, so I'm a second generation, you know, citizen, a naturalized citizen as opposed to a natural citizen. There was all these defense clearances, you know, top secret clearance and whatnot that I could not, um, I could not get right. Um, um, and as a result, there, there were pieces of my project. And again, my projects, most of my projects were funded by the Department of Defense um, or the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency uh, located in Virginia, Arlington. Um, and oftentimes there were these situations where certain important high level meeting, I just couldn't be there. Um, and that's fair, right? Um, national security reasons. And I respect that. But however, um, I did feel there was this gap of, you know, me doing really good work, but me not being a participant in front of the decision makers or being able to show my work. Um, oftentimes found myself as the only female engineer in the room. Um, and, and a combination of both those factors, I said, you know, time for me to try and do something else. Um, and again, in typical fashion, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I found everything interesting. Um, found myself at, at, at the Wharton Business School. Um, again, a route a lot of people take when they know they want a career change, but they don't know what they want to do. I didn't want to do, you know, hardcore coding or software engineering or development. Um, as I said, I like more the theoretical aspect of it. So, um, so I wanted to do something different, something more 
some something where I could see impact and work with a lot of different people, right? Um, so I triple majored one of, uh, I think two people in my entire batch um, and I did marketing strategy and finance because I said, you know what? All three areas are so interesting. I'm sure I'll know where I want to go, <laughs> right? Um, and that's how I did my summer in investment banking. Again, data was something I always liked coming from an engineering background. Um, so did my summer in banking and was going to pursue that full time. However, second year of college, I realized that I was pregnant. Um, and I had uh, my husband was a consultant at that point. So his schedule was, you know, Monday to Thursday out traveling and he would be back home on the weekend. And I said, you know, I decided early on, OK, consulting is not for me. Um, and then finance now with having to spend weekends in the bank and with the baby on the way, I said, OK, that wasn't how, how I quite wanted to live either. Um, so I decided, OK, so what are the companies I interviewed with that I really, really loved? Right. Um, and Google was, you know, was and is an amazing, amazing place to be. Um, I remember traveling from East Coast to, to the West Coast. And that was my first time to San Francisco and to the Google campus. Um, and, and the first thing I could see were bikes all over the place, you know, these super googly red, green, blue, yellow color bikes, and people are biking between buildings. It was a beautiful, gorgeous fall day um, and sunny, sunny California. And, and I was there in my suit, you know, again, coming from a banking background. And I was like, what am I doing? There are people roaming around in shorts and flip-flops and jeans. And I was like, that is me. You know, that, that, this is what I was to do. Um, and, and hence my Google journey started um, in US. Okay, you you casually went through that story, but you dropped so many bombs on us. First, you triple majored in Ivy League. Then your second choice job was like, mm, you know what? I need a career change. Let me go to Google, which is the, one of the biggest tech companies. So you see, so there were so many like amazing nuances in there. But I think one thing that I want to talk a little bit about was your experiences traveling. In a sense, it's not easy, especially as as someone who's probably uh, like at least for me from someone from a different country who's a woman i wouldn't think i'd be brave enough to travel alone let alone move around the world uh, and, and start moving around in different places according to my career so when i see that you've actually done that phenomenally in, in the span of your career i think that that's something that I, I that i would hope to learn from were you ever nervous and scared especially in those initial stages moving to a different country and then finding a space that that that, that resonated with you to live in, to work in, in a sense, was that something that you just fell into naturally or, or did it take an adjustment period? Um, it did take an adjustment period. Uh, this question is often asked, right? What is courage? And oftentimes right. I say courage is being fearful of something, but being able to overcome the fear. It's not the lack of fear, right? Uh, and that's something I always remind myself. Um, I, I love change i embrace change and i go after change because that is something that really excites me right um, new opportunities new experiences new people um there's so much to learn from them and i get so much joy out of fresh interactions um and and i think when i was pretty young um and, and thanks to my family ecosystem they had instilled this feeling of we are we are there we are there as a base and a foundation so anytime you don't like what you're doing or you're afraid you know you have roots to go back to um, so don't be scared to to try out and do try different things travel out and see the world because ultimately if you don't like where you are you know there is home for you somewhere here whether it was back in the country where they are or or, or figuratively just the fact that you know there, there, are, there are people who will respect me and love me for whatever i do right whatever crazy things i do um and i think with that 
with that foundation or with that support system, knowing that, yes, I have something to fall back on, that has always helped. Um, and then thankfully, and they always say, you know, one of the biggest decisions you're going to marry is, uh, is the partner you choose. And that is, you know, very, very true. Um, because a lot of what we do is, you know, we need the support of, of the partner, right? Um, and, and I've had a pretty supportive partner who's who's also said, you know, do what you want to do and we'll figure it out, right? Um, but it's not always easy. The first few days or the first few months, there is always this, what do they say? Um, the, 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 the new start remorse or the new job remorse where you get in somewhere and you're like, now again, why did I do that? Did I just shoot myself in the foot? I was could I not have just continued where I was? So those questions do crop up, but then again, that's very very natural. Right? So seeing that's natural, and then and then moving ahead um, is important, right? Um, so when I was in uh, when I was in US, right, India to US was fine. Um, I, I had a scholarship that was too good to refuse, right? Uh, and it was going to open up a whole new world for me. So I was like, you know, why not, right? Um, tech to 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 B school was also relatively easy because again, as you said, who would decline an offer at Wharton? Right? It was too good to not do it, right? So I was like, it it, it was a no brainer. Um, I think I think one of the decisions I made, which I would say was was slightly bold in retrospect, was when I was in US. Um, I knew nothing about Singapore. The only country I knew of was India, and that was. You know, home where my parents I grew up and spent the first 18 years of my life, but but knew nothing about Singapore. But um, um, when I was when I was in US and I, I, I was in Google for about a couple of years, um, and then I had another kid. Um, so I had two kids under three, um, and I was a struggling parent. I was majorly struggling. Um, I just couldn't do it. You know, I, I I was used to having you know my own time and space and do things when you want to do. And I love reading and nighttime used to be my reading time. And here I was doing, you know, diaper changes and constant diaper changes and constantly feeding. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, and then I love my work at Google, but at the same time, it does, it does require you to put in your best, right? In terms of time, effort, thinking, um, and very, very supportive environment. We had a pretty decent math leave. You know, I had almost six months off. Uh, so I won't complain about the math leave, but I would say with the child, even the first five years are super hard, right? I so, thought children are very troublesome. I still bother my mom at 19, so, so yeah. I cannot imagine. Yeah, yeah so, it, so it didn't come easily to me. So I was at a crossroads where I was thinking, maybe this is just not for me. Should I just quit my job and take a break um, and then spend some time with the kids and when they're older, get back to the workforce? Or, you know, I, I really needed help desperately. Um, and, and you know, I, ha I have both me and my husband had grandparents. Our parents were busy taking care of them. So they couldn't come to help out either. I tried out the uh, the nanny route and um, the au pair and wasn't seemed to be working. So I was wondering what to do. Um, and then I heard about this fantastic ecosystem in Singapore where you can have, uh, you know, live-in nannies who help you with the kids, run the house for you. And you can also work. And I said, okay, let me give it a try because I was wondering whether I should quit or whether I should try something totally different. Um, and I spoke about this with uh, with my manager at that time at Google. And Google is growing, right? And they were growing at that point. They were having offices in all the countries. Um, they were expanding. They were in the expansion phase. Uh, so my manager said, if you're thinking of quitting, she would respect that decision. But she said, you know, I would say if you're open to moving to Asia and you want to be closer home um, and you want to try a different country, I'll place you in any country you want to go, right? Go and build a finance team there. Um, but are you willing to take that bet? And, and she was talking to somebody who was super exhausted managing kids, right? Um, not knowing what to do. And I was just physically and, and emotionally tired. And, and I now I tell my daughter, who's a teenager, 
that she cried so much she almost drove me crazy crazy the, the, the first two years um um so um so so fast forward i made a call that time saying that i'm going to take a chance i want to come to singapore uh, and i moved here with both the kids um and me and my husband decided he will continue in us you know we just bought a house we had a mortgage to pay off and we said let's both not disrupt our jobs i was going to see how it goes and then depending on how it goes i was going to make a call of either i return to us after 2 years or something or he would find a job and move here because the idea was not to you know split the family and not have you know one of the parents with the kids necessarily right um so that i think in 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 hindsight when i look at that that to me was a was a pretty courageous move because country i didn't know i didn't know anybody in the country country i'd never been to um and then i said okay let me go try and um, um and i know google was going to build uh, the base for asia pacific out of singapore so i said let me just go try and, and i took a leap of faith took the role here my eighth year now in singapore so i did 3 years in singapore after that i did you know 3 years in malaysia almost 4 years in malaysia um and then from malaysia i thought i'll go back to us but again a fantastic opportunity opened up in singapore so i came back again to singapore um so i think that that was a leap of faith um, that i pride myself on quite a bit and just seeing the diversity in the region and seeing the growth in the region uh, and what i've been able to contribute to here and build out here um in some sense i felt i've i've left a legacy here like the singapore office was about 80 people when i joined i knew everybody in the cafe we are now about 3000 people right so it's um, so it's, it's been an, an incredible journey here in uh, here in asia But as someone who lives in Asia Pacific, I think I have to thank you for setting everything up. Like, like I feel like I'm like one of the top ten of Google's users in a sense. So I use everything to do with Google. So I have to thank you for for setting all of this up and 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 bringing and and expanding the work that you do in South in in Asia Pacific. But you have, but again, that is that is very courageous, if I may say, because two young kids, I probably very much more of a handful in a whole new country that. That is amazing in a sense, and to see how you've actually grown things as as one of the senior leaders here today, from eighty to three thousand, definitely shows the work that you've done uh, in Google itself. T- tell me a little bit about your journey in Google, in a sense. Um, the Google campus is, of course, a beautiful, phenomenal place. But how is it like engaging with the, what I've heard? some of these extremely bright and intelligent and from someone who's been a triple major and uh, and was a rocket scientist is probably not as a as as worrying for you than any of us listening in a sense but how is it like like engaging with one of the biggest companies in the world and then having to come here and set up and grow it in a place that maybe it was not at that time as fleshed out as it was in the US so 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 google um google as i said is and remains a, a phenomenal company right um, and what really i think in my mind it's google apart is the culture um, it's an amazing amazing culture it's a very flat culture um, and you can do whatever you want to do um, a lot of people ask me about 20% projects because google had pioneered this 20% project concept where you know one day a week um or 20% of your time you can do whatever you want to do work on any project you find interesting but i would say this actually carries through to any role or any profile right there is a core job most people are hired into but there's so much flexibility built into it we tell we tell people you know you set your own objectives 
go talk to people, see what's needed, right? See where the gaps are, see where the opportunities are, marry it with your skill set, see what you can bring into the team. How can you add value? Figure out what you want to do. And if you need resources for that, you know, talk to talk to the managers. We will give you the appropriate resources. Try out different things, right? So this very, you know, non-hierarchical bottoms up. Just explore, try doing what you think we should do, convince convince people, right? Give them an idea and no idea gets shot down very easily, right? We are always in this experimental, try it out. What's the harm in trying it out? Let's see um, kind of a culture, right? And and again, this is this is truly, uh, uh, um, as, as you said, um, it truly a, a place of really, really smart people. So when you're engaging with people, just conversations with them, get your juices flowing, right? Then you're constantly thinking about their ideas. You're building and iterating on each other's ideas. Um, and it's just it's, it's just fantastic. So when I started in Google, this was uh, just post our IPO. And one of the first things I came in to do was set up what are known as budgets in finance, right? What does budgeting mean? You know, basic finance fundamentals on um, what are the different categories of budget? What should external reporting look like? What is internal reporting? Um, and, 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 you know, what role does finance play? Um, and then the businesses just, just went haywire, right? There was so much growth in businesses. We decided to branch out from traditional ads to, to, to YouTube, cloud, some of our big bets. Then, then we formed this whole alphabet structure of not just Google, but we have you know, self-driving cars. We had um, internet balloons. <laughs> um, so a lot of different businesses. Um, and that's what kept it's kept it so, so interesting. Um, when, I, when I talk to some people um, in Google, um, uh, we remember back when I started the marketing budget for, glo for, for Google, right? Globally used to be, you know, one hundredth of what it is today. Right. And that was just U.S. And we were first thinking about what our marketing allocation framework should be. Now, just APAC alone is way beyond what 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 U.S. what what uh, what the U.S. and the global budget was ten years ago, right? Um, and a lot of these businesses didn't exist. Um, so when I was when I was in Malaysia, the role I came back to um, in Singapore because at that point I was thinking, you know, three years and three four years in Malaysia, what next? Um, Google then decided to get into the hardware space. You know, we weren't. We never ever thought we will be a hardware company, right? For us, it was ads, it was software, it was YouTube. Those things have linkages, right, and platform. But to have our own devices and to make and sell our own devices was something we hadn't thought about. So when that whole business came together and they said, you know, can you can you support it from a finance standpoint? You know, what is the right level of investment? What do we need to do? What deals do we strike with partners? And how do we build a supply chain and a logistics function and manufacturing and distribution and warehousing and something I knew nothing about? Right. I felt that I wasn't in, in, in Google, but I'm actually in, in Apple or, or think about Samsung or you know, a, a leading you know, hardware, hardware company, because that's what you know, this branch does. Right. So, um, so, so, so that's been the that's been the ride in some sense. So, started off in traditional finance, but the role has never been about just finance. Um, I remember back back again early in the days, um, I was supporting the legal team at one point, partnering with that team, um, and our CFO at that point had said that we have no idea how much legal is spending or what a big job for finance is to forecast. You know, where is the year going to be? How much are we going to spend so we can? accordingly adjust our investments, right? We want to invest more if we know how much money we are bringing in and we know how much it's going to cost. Right? Um, and they said that they have no idea um, how much the legal team is spending. And that time, one of our biggest cases was actually a company called Viacom that had sued YouTube. So YouTube in its form and shape would not exist today if we had lost that battle, 
right? Because then we would be held liable for every single video and content posted on YouTube. Um, and we always maintain that we are a platform. You can't hold us liable to every content because we are not a content provider, right? We are more of a platform. But that was a, that was a landmark case. Uh, and my job was figuring out how much we should spend in fighting that legal case, right? Um, and, and how long do we think it will take? So a lot of these these forecasting things, which again are very interesting, because how do you how do you, you don't have a precedent yeah. for something like that? Um, so a lot of things we do at Google, I feel, has no precedent. Um, so a lot of thing is creatively marrying, you know, what I learned in my fundamentals at Wharton, for example, right? What I knew of marketing and what that gets us, right? The whole funnel and um, how much do we appropriately invest across the funnel um, as well as strategy and finance. It, it's a beautiful conglomeration of everything I learned that I use almost day to day now. So you are the reason we have YouTube as we are. Oh. <laughs> Again, important thing, Harsha. I am finance. All I do is make business cases with the business and try to get them funded. But the ultimate power <laughs> is actually... But finance is the blood of an organization, right? What keeps things pumping in a way. So, so, but, but, but you brought up a very unique point. We always talk about these businesses that were not here five, ten years ago. But that also means like unprecedented change comes with unprecedented problems, unprecedented uh, like like mount, like roadblocks and all that and and just like that example of, of like YouTube versus Viacom, it, it's insane to think that a different outcome would lead to literally a completely different world that we live in today. There will probably be no TikTok or, or no Reels as we know it with that precedent set in place. And and it seems and, and it's people like you who who have who share the work of of crafting the future in 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 a way. Um, which is hard for the rest of us to wrap our heads around. How do you, in, in, and I'm sure it's not just that one case, I'm sure there's been many instances where you've had to, to set the precedent for, for everyone else in a way. How do you go about making these decisions? And, and again, you, you, is there no fear in you when you make these decisions in a sense? Or, 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 or what is it even is in that process of thought that gets you to be able to figure out what's the right thing to do? Ultimately, it is the, the, the cause we believe in, right? And for Google, it's always been about making the world's information uni universally accessible and useful, right? Um, and that mission statement has held true and strong, and it's it, it, it's embedded into our hearts and souls, right? Um, and so these platforms, I think, are very, very useful because otherwise information will not be accessible. Imagine the tons of people who look up each and everything on YouTube, right? Whether it's how do I cook something or how do I braid my daughter's hair or anything and everything or even and now it's gone into the medical field right people research yes. on you know what the doctor is saying COVID and the amount of information on COVID um, so all that truly right is super super important um, and so I, I believe in that mission and hence there's a lot of areas we fought in that said talking about the fear part of it the fear is there Harsha but the fear is are we doing enough are we doing all that we can because with every upside there is a bit of a downside that that we don't um, that they want to make sure we are really conscious of and we are investing enough in. So if I use something like, like YouTube or content, for example, the biggest the, the biggest risk is, you know, trust and safety. How do we make sure our information um, is truly um, is truly accurate? Right? How do we fight misinformation? Um, how do we make sure that um, the, the resources are trusted? If people are looking for something on COVID, how do we make sure that the information we surface is from a trusted source, right? It, it either links to um, links to WHO or CDC, depending on your country or where you are. 
Um, so that is a big thing, right? You know, how do we make sure there is no fake news? Um, how do we fight against that? So that these risks that you don't anticipate at the beginning, right? Like, like the, the fake news could become so prominent in, um, in, in quite, quite a few unfortunate, you know, incidences associated with fake news um, or, you know, very various group chats and where they can take you are things that as we acknowledge, we are ensuring that we put the right resources behind that too, you know, on fighting that, on countering that, on making sure algorithmically um, we, we can fight that, right? So so that, so that fear is always there. And technology is definitely for the better as long as we, we are all intentionally making the best use of it, right? But there are also downsides that we learn about as we go through it, right? And then are we, um, are we, are we able to quickly adapt and fix and address those downsides um, is something we spend a lot of time now. Okay, that is very inspirational. I, whenever I, 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 I read about all of these cases against fake news, against all of these hiccups, it makes me sometimes wonder that, yeah, and, and it makes me a little bit grateful actually that we've evolved to a point where we have these issues in a way that, that we are tackling these, these things that we would have never sought. So I'm glad that we have capable people like you on the case in, in one way or another, making sure that we, we as I think a generation and as a society using this technology are able to, to, to slowly make the right decisions and get into, uh, back into the track of, uh, or at least continuing in the track of using technology to mitigate these things. So, so thank you again. Like, really yeah, even, even, even simple things, Harsha, like I, one of the features I love best um, that that's rolling out and is rolled out already is Android platforms. A lot of our population uses Android, right? On um, having a, having this timer feature where the phone just automatically shuts off if you've been on a device for more than a certain amount of time, right? Definitely, definitely needed, right? Um, because you get you get hooked on, right? It can it can truly internet can truly become an addiction. So um, and it's tough to fight, right? So how do you do that? So you have to do that through these intelligent technology features that you can build in. So again, I do think there's a lot of value to technology, um, but again, you have to build in those features, which now, you know, Android has, and I'm so excited about it because now, you know, my daughter can't be on the phone for more than, <laughs> more than an hour, even if she wants her all the, all the family features that we've rolled out, right? Where all the connected devices, you can see what your kids are doing, um, YouTube for kids, all those things that are launching, right? And they have launched. Um, so those are all fantastic things. Again, again, we've learned. It's not like YouTube Kids was the first thing we launched, right? It was YouTube that launched first, but then we learned that, yes, we need to have YouTube Kids, and then we launched that, so. Well, you have many parents today who are probably in your position with two kids under three who need something. So you, 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 you've given back to the community, the parent community at the very least through that. I'm also very curious, you, you talked about culture earlier and, and, and you also mentioned that you're one of the early pioneers in the Asia-Pacific region. From what I've heard and from the very small letter of experience, culture in different parts of the world can be drastically different in a sense. And sometimes bringing a culture as vibrant and as interesting um, across the world can be a bit tough in a sense. How, how, do you, how do you guys actually make sure that you, you either find the right people or instill the right culture as Google is growing to where it is today now in the Asia Pacific region in a sense? I mean, with 80 people, you can probably talk to everyone, as you said, you have 3,000 people. Culture is something that, that is a bit more embedded and, and less uh, conversational in a sense. So how did you grow with that original vibrant Google culture and not cave into maybe the pressures of the different countries that you're in? So communication and collaboration is a key Google tenet 
right? Um, and, and Google has always pioneered these concepts of, you know, objectives and key results, right? Um, this is how we measure the success of, you know, everybody, every individual in their team, in their role. Key component of objective and key result, right? 50% of it, kind of 50% is weighted on what you have done, right? That could be a piece of code you wrote or, or an analysis you did. But 50% of that or more than 50% is how you did it, right? It's how you went about it. Who did you collaborate with? Who did you influence? Who did you teach? Who did you share it with? How did you help somebody else? How did you help new people integrate into, into the team? How did you help with community efforts? How did you help with diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Um, how, do you, um, how did you help with trainings? Um, were you available for coffee chats to meet people when they wanted to meet you? Such a big emphasis is placed on community and people and, um, and that aspect of it, that it gets ingrained in your DNA, even when people come in and even when people come in from different cultures, right? Um, the other two two big pillars we pay a lot of attention is well-being. Well-being is a, is a core component of us. So we constantly take the pulse of the teams to see, you know, how is your well-being? We do these check-ins, every manager, every team, a lot of resources spent on ensuring that uh, people feel happy, productive and healthy when they are at work, right? As I mentioned, Google was one of the pioneers in really generous maternity leave policies and that was back in US, right? When it didn't exist, right? Two weeks or three weeks, even now, even yesterday I met a new neighbor um, who had a one month old baby and I was asking her when she was going back and she said in two weeks. So she got a total of six weeks off. And, and in my mind, that's, that's just insane, right? Because, you know, Google had, a, had, had six months off globally a decade ago, and now it does almost, you know, nine months or something, nine months to a year. We can take flexible leave. You can you can come back. You, you have, there's a ramp up period. That are, there are a lot of things built in. There's a baby bonding leave. A lot of things that are built in to ensure you get quality time. You know, when you really need it. Um, and the fact that companies in APAC are still doing six weeks is uh, is is crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. But anyway, that's for a different time. <laughs> um, so. Um, so the people element is is fundamental to how we measure your success in your role, right? And every quarter we talk about it. It's built into the expectations we set with each and every person. Um, so I would say that's that's fundamental: collaboration, communication, community building, um, and investing in talent management. Not just you know across your immediate team, but your peers. Um, and then we have a strong mentor network. So all the, these play a big role in keeping you know Google's culture still intact. And, and as we kind of wind down this conversation, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, you as an individual, in a sense, you are a parent, you are a top star employee, you are literally an ex-rocket scientist in a sense. That is a lot on your plate and, and, and between moving and between the different exciting things that you do. How do you balance all of that? Well, what's your secret? Because you do so many intelligent things and, and including the most hardest job of being a parent all in one, in a sense. How, do, how have you learned to, to balance that in a sense? No, I'm serious. I think being a parent tops any job in, in the world in a way. So what, how do you, and, and it's definitely not been an easy journey based on your story, but but what what do you think was about you, the, what changed that enabled you to, to embrace all of it and juggle it? 
So I, I would say just uh, just a lot of self awareness, right, on what you need, when, um, and then setting setting clear boundaries. So there is never a balance. And as I mentioned, I have struggled, right, and I and I I, I really struggled and gave up, and and that's fine too, right. I have um, I, I have really good friends of mine who decided to go the other way. They said they are going to take a break. They took a break in their career. Some of them have come back to really good roles um, after spending almost eight years. You know, in, in terms of a career break, um, some of them have stayed on the break and that's fine too. Um, so there, there, are, there are the two, three things I generally do tell people, uh, which which I tell myself too, right? Um, success and happiness has to be measured. It's it's a very personal thing and has to be measured by your own goalpost, right? Um, some, of, some of my, a lot of Wharton people are either founders or CFOs or CEOs. Now, I don't look at them and say, oh my God, I'm not there yet. Does that mean I didn't do well enough? No. Right? Because that is not what I wanted and that is not what is right for me today because there are other priorities in my life right now. Right, So always measure success at each point based on you know where you are and what, what's true for you, Right, not what looks good externally. Um, the second thing, the second thing I, I tell myself is um, be ready to acknowledge. If things are not going well, be ready to acknowledge. Like this conversation with my manager that set me off on a good path, right? Where I got to enjoy and love, you know, and fall in love with Asia Pacific, right? I get to visit all these fantastic countries and be be the champion, right, uh, for Asia Pacific um, in, in, in terms of Google leadership. That would not have been but for me acknowledging that I'm not able to do it, right? So, 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 so that's totally fine, and you will find supportive people when you acknowledge it. So, don't shy away from from those conversations. And thirdly, boundaries. Set boundaries for yourself, which are just non-negotiable, right? Um, so, for me, I can get so wrapped up in work, which is true and happens for a lot of people. I've set a clear boundary, saying, you know, the first half an hour in the morning, whether it's six to six thirty or six thirty to seven, is for me to work out. Right. And I do this this stupid this stupid routine of just, you know, gymming at home, not with any equipment, but I have a and, and my sister laughs at me when I tell her I have these five kg dumbbells that I use. But I think that's that's great workout for me. Or that I do is small, great. Every yeah, day. I do small, uh, I'm trying, I mean, on the weekends I do cycling, so it depends. So weekends I have more time, right? So then I do cycling. But then again, it's um, it's six to eight in the morning because I'm back. Uh, I'm caught between a teenager and a toddler now. So I have a toddler also. Um, and he wants mom and he gets up. So he's like, where's mom? So, so I, I have to be back. I have to be sure I'm, I'm holy. But set boundaries. So I had a meeting at five this morning. And sometimes, you know, you do have odd hour meetings because they're mostly with a, a different country. And this was 5 a.m. in the morning. Today was the only day that worked for both London and that worked for San Francisco. Right. And there are these occasions when you need all three of you together to make a collective decision or move things forward. Um, it's not always easy to find a conducive good time zone so so sometimes yeah. we do make these sacrifices and meet at those odd hours but anyway that meeting ended from 5 to 6 30 and then 6 30 to 7 7 15 was my time but i did the workout that i that i usually like to do um so at the end of the day i don't end up feeling frustrated saying oh i couldn't do anything for myself or i didn't save time for myself or work was overwhelming right same thing there is this particular period of time you know dinner time mostly that i always carve for being with the kids Right. And no distractions. I'm never on the phone, never on emails. I'm like, you know, and so there's this, you know, half an hour dinner time. And there's this one hour of, you know, reading time or sharing time that we do where we talk about what we've read in the news or I talk about, you know, what happened in the day or they talk about, you know, what happened in their schools. And then we just generally read a book. Each of us is reading our own book, but we are at least together in the same room before then we all depart into our different rooms, right? And that typically happens after dinner. So we have dinner between 7.30 to 8, 8 to 9 is our reading time. And then 9 o'clock, we are all off in different 
places. Um, and nine o'clock onwards, I decide what I want to do. If I want to work, I work. Uh, many times it's work. Many times it's also, you know, catching up something on TV or sleeping or whatever. But I think setting those boundaries, like if these two times in the day didn't exist, then I would feel feel pretty sad. Um, and I'm not saying it happens every day because there are travel days and there are days where you have office dinners and things like that when that doesn't happen. But then you make up for it another day, right? Through a, through a holiday or vacation or something. So that's what has, you know, kept me going and kind of works works for me. You know what, I think you, you brought this to a very beautiful close in a way and a very wholesome uh, like story. Yeah, I'm sure many of our audience is very envious. You're smart, you, you have things well planned in a sense, you have a brilliant career. So maybe just to end off, what a very messy you? house, Harsha. Let me tell you that. Something God yeah. gave. <laughs> I have a messy house without any more of those things. So, so and I can't cook. Like my food is like horrible. You would not want to have even a cup of tea from me. It's that bad. So so trust me, it's not all, all rosy. There's always, you know, something is good. Something is going to be bad. So there's hope for the rest of us, okay? <laughs> everyone can, can breathe now, okay? <laughs> but but no, I really appreciate you sharing. And, and for anyone who wants to, to to craft a similar path, in a sense, wants to have a family, wants to have the work, wants to, to, to do the amazing things that you're doing, where do they start in a, in a way? Where, how do they even go about thinking these questions? Um, so, so it depends. It depends what, I, I think, as I said, self-reflection, introspection is key. Right. Once you've listed down, you know, what you want to do, why you want to do it, then prioritize, you know, what is totally important for you that that's that's a non-negotiable. Um, and then and then and then make time for the things that you want to do. But a lot of this, as I said, starts from self-reflection and introspection because you it's it's after all a short life, you want to enjoy it, right? Though people live to hundred, I still feel it's too short for everything that's out there to see and enjoy. Um so I do let us say, you know. Take time to be happy um, and don't go by don't go by external measures. Right. And there are there are various things you want to you want to get into technology at the age of fifty. Google is now running something called you know skill signation program aimed at all levels. You know I have um, I have a, um, a a friend of mine. Um, so many there are cases every day. I have a friend of mine who took a career break for almost about eight years. Did some certification courses online. Is back at a tech company that and she really enjoys the work she's doing. Um, so there are there are people every single day. I have a person, I have a colleague who just emailed yesterday saying that she's quitting a job at Google because for two years she's renting an RV and her goal is to cover every single state what? in US, right? Every single state in US. And she wants to make sure she navigates every nook and road and cranny. So she sent this video of the RV that she's just getting designed. Uh, so that'll that'll be ready for pickup apparently in a month. And then she's going to start off on this journey. Um, so it's a, it's a crazy world now, plenty of opportunity, plenty of things to do. Uh, so I think you just need to ask yourself, what is it that you want to do? And, and once you know that, then the way to do it will, will appear. Okay, beautifully wrapped up. And thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I am amazed. I am, normally have a lot to say, but I'm very speechless by, by your stories and your examples. And I'm just very grateful to have you here. So thank you so much for joining us. And I do appreciate your time and your thoughts and, and, and experiences with us in the audience. Thank you, Arsha. Thank you. Lovely meeting you. Thanks. All right. And with that, I guess we'll wrap up our show for today. Thank you to our audience as well for joining us on today's episode of Changing Reality. And if you guys enjoyed today's session, please do let us know below. And till then, we'll see you guys again next Thursday at 10 p.m. As always, bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. 
changing reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.